in the evangelistic sermons in the book of Acts. Whether that's Peter's message on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 souls were saved, or whether that's Paul's message on the top of Mars Hill where he was mocked and scorned by the academic elite, whether it's Stephen's sermon that brought about his death by stoning because they were angry with him, to Peter's message to Cornelius, which brought the, the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. All of these sermons are just fascinating to me, and I have made a study of them over the years. And I, I think certainly you might say, well, Steve, that's because you're a pastor, and you uh, have an interest in, in sermons, and I do. And especially as a pastor, I'm interested in the inspired sermons we have, recording God's holy word as their, their model of what the gospel is and how it's proclaimed and how it should be proclaimed. But my interest in these sermons um, far predated my time as a pastor. Uh, I, I think just e- even after God really gripped me with the, the truth of his word, the glory of Christ. It just was, I've always been interested in the gospel. So, so what is it? What, what are the elements of the gospel? What needs to be taught? What needs to be preached? What needs to be said? What, what is it that I need to believe to be saved? And really, there's no better place than to find the core elements of what it is we need to believe than, than these inspired sermons recorded in the book of Acts. And so this morning, I want for us to look at these sermons. And so if you have your Bible, this morning you can open to the book of Acts. We're going to be covering a a lot of ground this morning. What we're going to discover and see and expose and reveal is just the the strong emphasis that the apostles over and over and over again had in the resurrection. And, And my question to you is this. Does it translate into the way you think about the gospel? Does it translate into the way that you talk about the gospel? Perhaps for those who don't know Christ, perhaps for those who do know Christ, just rehearsing it in your mind. Is, is the resurrection a prominent thought when you think about Christ and the gospel? And, and I'd say, sad to say, that the resurrection isn't always on my mind when I think about the gospel. I mean, for instance, this week I, I received a phone call from, uh, from a gal, she's a reporter at the Rockford Register Star. And she was writing an article on, on, quote, how to find a good church. And she Googled that, and my name in Rockford, Loves Park, just popped up. And so she found my, my name someplace, and she called and asked me this question. So someone's looking for a church. What's, what's important in looking for a church? And um, so I, as I thought about it, briefly, I, I just responded, I think that the Scripture, a view of Scripture is, is probably paramount in, in, in everything, because if you, if you have the Bible central in the life of the church where, where the, the truth of God's Word is believed and where the truth of God's Word is, is taught and followed and obeyed, it, it, it sets a trajectory for what the church believes because it holds the contents of what we believe and it sets a trajectory for how a church does ministry because we seek to do ministry in accordance with what God says, how to do ministry and so I said, uh, a high view of Scripture, first of all. And then, and then, then a church's beliefs. You've got to look at that as well. And so just, I, I went through with this reporter on the phone. I, I said, you know, if you believe the Bible, you'll come to believe God as the almighty, sovereign, holy, exalted one. The one sovereign over all of the universe. And you'll believe in Jesus Christ, 
the perfect God-man who died on the cross for our sins. And when you believe in the Bible, it will create a community of love as you follow in its ways. And after a few moments, our, our phone call ended. And now I'm praying, and I trust you will too. If it ever comes to print and comes to fruition, that it will highlight our, our church, or at least my name maybe, and um, that perhaps it will draw people here as an option to attend church. But then I reflected, as I prepared my message here, thinking, this is Easter Sunday. It's all about the resurrection. Where did, where did the resurrection fit in what I told this uh, reporter? And I realized that my one-sentence summary of the gospel didn't mention the resurrection. Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, died on the cross for our sins. Now, that's to be excused that I didn't talk about the resurrection because the gospel is vast and, and huge and we speak about it every week and I spend hours thinking about it. Um, but here's what I do know is that the resurrection wasn't like right there like the next sentence of what I would say. It's kind of buried down there back because I focus so much upon the cross. In fact, I, I think if I'd explain the gospel with another sentence or two or three or four. I, I don't know if the resurrection would be there. I just, here, here's the, kind of how I think, right? That Jesus Christ, the perfect one, lived a, a sinless life. He died on the cross for our sins. It was his exchange, his life for us. Jesus bearing our sin upon the cross, taking the wrath of God for us. And the call of the gospel is for us to repent and believe and, and turn from our sins and trust in Christ. And Christ alone, this salvation that He's brought us, it's entirely by grace, not as a result of works that we have done in righteousness, but totally according to His mercy. And when you believe and trust in Jesus, it'll make a difference in your life. You'll be able to see that. It's not merely what you say, but God will give you new desires. And, and he, will, he will give you fruit of our salvation, whereby you can be assured that, yes, I do love Jesus, and I see how he's worked out in my life. And, and that's how I typically talk about the gospel. And uh, I often speak about Christ, knowing him, our response and grace. But I, I, I found just even this week being confronted, I don't often think or mention his burial or his resurrection, how easy it would be, right? That the Christ died for our sins, he was buried and then he, he resurrected from the dead, raised from the dead, and then carry on all those other things. But just those, those couple words aren't just like foremost on my mind. And so I hope this Easter morning to reflect upon the resurrection, the sermons preached in Acts, that, that you will put the resurrection more on your mind, that I will put the resurrection more on my mind as I just think to explain it. My aim of my message this morning is that, that we would get a fresh thought of the resurrection, how we think of the gospel and how we communicate the gospel with others because Paul did first Corinthians 15 for I delivered to you as a first importance here's the gospel he delivered to them that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures he was buried that he was raised in the third day according to the scriptures and then he appeared to Cephas and the 12 and more than 500 and then Paul says he appeared to me last of all least to the apostles he appeared to me when Paul mentions the cross he mentions Christ dying for our sins according to the Scriptures, His burial, His resurrection according to the Scriptures, and His appearances. Just those, those simple four elements. And, and when you even look at 1 Corinthians 15, the, the death and burial play the minor part. Because 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. All about the appearances of Jesus. The entire chapters devoted that. Now, it's not to say you can't present the Gospel without talking about the resurrection. You can. That's John Newton famously said toward the end of his life, he said, 
although my memory is fading, it says one thing still stands clear, that I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. That's the gospel and that's sufficient without the resurrection. But when you, you start drilling down, I guess my question is to you, how, how prominent does the resurrection come? Because we see in the book of Acts is that in almost every sermon that's preached, I say almost because there are some exceptions um, to the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should be saved. That was so short. And Stephen, I do believe he didn't get to the resurrection because he didn't quite get to finish his sermon because he was killed, though there was a hint of that when he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Jesus is alive and well. There's the resurrection there. But almost every single time a sermon is preached, Christ resurrected is there. And I just want you to see that. My message this morning is entitled, The Apostolic Preaching of the Resurrection. The title comes from a famous book written by Leon Morris called The Apostolic Preaching of the Cross. So... The apostolic preaching of the resurrection. So Acts 2. Let's just look at that. We're going to look at five, mess, five sermons this morning. So I'm preaching one sermon, but really there are going to be five sermons we're looking at. I'm going to summarize them, um, but we'll be, we'll be reading them quite a bit just to get a gist of the flavor of what was preached. Three by Peter and two by Paul. First one by Peter, Acts chapter 2. It comes on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. The day when the disciples started speaking other languages not known to them. And people were like shocked. Like, how do we hear them? They're speaking our language, but they're Galileans. How do they know our language? And people were amazed and perplexed. Some were saying, what does this mean? Some said, oh, they're drunk. And Peter addresses this. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. He said, men of Judea. And all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from Joel chapter 2, this extended quote, speaking about how in the latter days they'll prophesy. And in the last days there shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right? In other words, what, what you're seeing and hearing is exactly what was prophesied in the Old Testament in Joel. It, is, it, is it there would be dreams driven, uh, dreamed and, and visions spoken and just this miraculous things, the Spirit comes down and the call is that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And then having addressed the context, Peter then turns to Jesus. Acts 2 verse 22. Now look what he turns to Jesus and notice what he says about him. Men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Here it is. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and here he quotes the last half of Psalm 16, which prophesied of the resurrection. He's kind of picking up on this whole resurrection theme. 
I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And now he goes back and exposits that last part of Psalm 16 that he just read. Particularly, he's going to drill in on verse 27. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about this patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb was with us to this day. Peter could have gone over and said, here's the tomb. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. And this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And now he returns the situation at hand about the Spirit being poured out, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know therefore for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus whom you crucified is now raised. He is Lord and Christ seated above. It's not about David. It is about the Lord Jesus sitting up high. And, and he barely gets to his application when the, the people hearing are cut to the heart. They said, what shall we do? Verse 37. And he says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It will come upon you if you repent. We follow in obedience with baptism as well. Now, obviously, there's much in this text we're going to skip over, but I want you to see where the focus is. The, the whole heart of the message is about the resurrection. The first Christian sermon preached is about the resurrection. Yes, this tongues thing came about. Joel 2, it's about that. But let me tell you about Jesus. It's prophesied in Psalm 16 that the Holy One wouldn't undergo decay. There was a promise that God wouldn't abandon the line of David. That could come about in two ways. Either one, there's always an offspring is going to sit on the throne of David, or there's one offspring that lives forever. And that's the offspring we're talking about, the offspring of the the Christ, the Messiah, that that his flesh wouldn't undergo decay. This whole idea, even he says, his, his grave, his tomb is with us to this day in verse 29. If you go and visit Jerusalem today, there is David's tomb there. Now, whether that's really David's tomb or not is highly conjectural, but, but the fact that David was buried in the little town of Jerusalem, old Jerusalem, and his bones are somewhere there, and his body was abandoned to the grave, but not Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead according to the prophecy of Psalm 16. He was raised from the dead, verse 32. That's what, Paul, that's what Peter is talking about, how God raised him up. He was the fulfillment of prophecy. It was the proof of his Messiahship. And then he goes back and talks about the Spirit and the application there. But the heart of the first Christian message was all about the resurrection. And Peter just sandwiched it in light of the Holy Spirit coming. Well, let's move on to our, our second sermon from Peter. It's chapter 3 in Acts this time we see Peter and John encounter a, a lame man who is begging for money, holding out. Can you, can you give me something? And Peter said in Acts chapter 3, verse 6, 
I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. There's a lame man. They knew about this man. He'd always begged the same place. He's up and he's walking. The people were filled with wonder and amazement. Say, what happened to him? Again, God created the stir. First time was the tongues, and this time the stir comes from this, this man who was lame is up and he's walking. And Peter took the opportunity then to preach about Jesus. Verse 12. Men of Israel... Why do you wonder at this or or why do you stare at us as though by some power of piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. There's a reference a little bit to his resurrection. He glorified him whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had asked, decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, he has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is, in through, is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. At this point, Peter turned his sermon to application, the crux of it coming in verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. You killed the Messiah. So turn, turn from your sins that you might, might have them washed away, blotted out. It's calling the people of Israel to confess their sins that they might, not, that they might experience forgiveness of sins. And, and that same message is the gospel. Yes, we have sinned. Oh, maybe we haven't crucified the Messiah. But had we been there, we would have probably been part of the crowd. But... Enough, there are enough other things that we have done that deserve our death and condemnation. If you're apart from Christ this morning, I I exhort you to repent. And turn and look at the Jesus. Turn and look to this risen one who has conquered death. Who was raised from the dead. He has power over death. He has the ability to forgive sins. Now, Peter's preaching didn't sit so well with the the Sadducees, that is those who didn't believe the resurrection, rather to provoke them. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. And particularly what provoked them was the resurrection. Chapter 4, verse 1. And as they, that is Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Trust in Jesus, you'll raise from the dead. It implies that Jesus paved the way first. It means that he was talking more about the resurrection of the dead than verse 15. But verse 15 talked about how he is the one that, that God raised from the dead. But when the Sadducees like, like pointed out the main point of contention and perhaps in some regards the main point of what Peter was saying, it's this resurrection thing. We don't like that. And so they bound him and, and prisoned him and, and captured them for the night. And then they set them the next day before the rulers and the elders and the people, and this is what Peter said to them. Chapter 4, verse 8. Rulers of the people and elders. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means he has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom, here it is, God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This is the stone that was rejected by you. The builders has become the cornerstone and there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name 
under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And there, there's, there's the gospel, right? The great reality of what the apostles preach, the great reality of Easter morning is that God raised Jesus from the dead and there's salvation in no one else except the name of Jesus Christ. Now, now notice in Peter's message, he didn't shrink from the resurrection. Rather, he put it front and center. Even he had a little summary here from verses 6 through 12 the resurrection made it into that list. In fact, while giving defense to the religious leaders after they, they bound him, released him, they said, don't, don't preach anymore. Then they're preaching the name of Jesus. And so they, they came up again and again, they asked for defense. And in chapter five, he gives this little, this is a mini sermon. This really isn't a sermon, but it's more like, are you going to stop preaching? Chapter five, verse 29. And, and Peter simply said this, we must obey God rather than men the god of our fathers here it is raised up jesus put the resurrection first thing and then talks about his death this jesus was raised oh this jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree but god has highly exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to israel and forgiveness of sins and we are witnesses of these things and so is the holy spirit whom god has given to those who obey him there's the resurrection Front and center, even in these, whatever, four, five verses, 29, 30, 31, 30, these four verses, the resurrection makes the cut. I just encourage you, as you think about the gospel in your own mind, you think about the death of Christ, let's remember the resurrection of Christ as well. He was dead, buried, and raised from the dead. Now, one of the things that's interesting here is that the apostles were eyewitnesses to this fact. He said, verse 32, And we are witnesses to these things. That's one of the great things about the resurrection. We we don't stand where Peter stood. He preached just what he knew. And he saw Jesus dead. He saw him buried. And then he saw him alive. For 40 days he was alive with him. It wasn't just one dream one night. It was 40 days continually. He saw Jesus and walked with him and talk with him and ask him questions about the coming of the kingdom and Jesus was answering those. Now, we haven't seen Jesus risen from the dead, but the resurrection still is the ground of our faith and and we stand on the apostles who saw him. In fact, in Jesus' day, there were some 500 who saw him, those even Jesus determined beforehand who would see them. We'll see that in the the next sermon, but we need to believe that. We need to proclaim it. He's risen from the dead. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. We're going to talk more about his resurrection appearance, appearances. This is the third sermon by Peter that we're looking at this morning. Uh, this, of course, to make a long story really short, Peter is coming to the home of Cornelius, a God-fearing Gentile. And now he speaks to those who had gathered. Cornelius, he gathered his friends, his relatives into this room, says, we're all here, ready to listen to what you have to say to us. And Peter said this, verse 34, Acts 10. Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. As for the word that He has sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, from the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses. We've seen this. Of all that he did. 
both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on the tree. But, and here comes the good news, right? It wasn't just the death. It was the, it was the resurrection that vindicated the death. Vindicated everything that happened at the cross. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. Not to the, all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And if Jesus is going to be judged, it implies that he's alive. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Right? Jesus has been raised. He is living. He's going to come and judge. But the prophets of old prophesied that whoever believes in his name will have forgiveness now the encouraging thing is that all who were in that room believed and they were baptized in the holy spirit they were baptized in water so they received forgiveness of sins that day believing this message of this resurrection they were in caesarea just 100 miles or so or 50 miles pretty pretty close to jerusalem jerusalem's up in the hill caesarea is down by the sea they've heard of what was happening They heard this Jesus, and they heard this commotion, but then it all came to be right here. They they came to understand that. Do you believe? Do you believe Jesus died for your sins according to the Scriptures? Do you believe that He was buried? Do you believe that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures? Do you believe that He appeared to the apostles who couldn't stop but to give their firsthand testimony? I mean, they're compelled by it. I mean, the modern equivalent of that is is some tornado rips through some place or some disaster happens or something and, and a reporter is there on the scenes, right, from Eyewitness News, right, from Fox and, and they put the camera on your line and said, you saw it, what would you see? Boom! And, and, and the person just says what they say. Oh, well, I saw this guy running out of here with a gun and he got in this car and zoomed away. That's what I saw. Some bank robbery, perhaps, someplace. Or I saw this storm coming, and it came whipping through here. And I was in the cellar, but I was peeking up. I saw that storm go through. That's what Peter gave, the eyewitness account. And he gives his testimony here. And when someone's on the news, and they, they tell you what happened to the, the bank robber speeding away, do you doubt that? Normally, you believe it, right? Because they, they saw it. Why do they have any reason to make it up? And Peter didn't have any reason to make this up. He was an eyewitness and proclaimed Jesus far and wide. I say, may God grant us faith to believe. May we all believe. May we all speak about the resurrection. All right, there's Peter. Three sermons. Pentecost, shortly after that with a lame man, bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Now let's look at Paul. Let's look at two sermons of, of Paul. Turn over to Acts chapter 13. This is on the first missionary journey. He's going. He finds himself in Pisidian Antioch. He finds himself there on the Sabbath in a synagogue. And the open invitation was given in verse 15. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So, of course, Paul, never one to be shy or bashful, stood up and he began to speak. Summarizing the first half of this here, he, he spoke of how Israel is God's chosen people. and God made them flourish in Egypt. Verse 17 and how he gave them the land of Canaan as an inheritance. He gave them a king after his own heart, promising that from his line the Messiah would come. And now we pick it up in verse 26. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham. And by the way, just count the number of times the resurrections mentioned in this sermon. Okay? This is the first time the Gospels come to Pisidian Antioch. 
you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, they fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But here's the resurrection. God raised him from the dead. And for many a days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news of what God promised to the fathers, that he has fulfilled this, us, their children, by raising Jesus, also as is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Speaking about his enthronement, his reigning, the, the, the resurrection was the very path to which Jesus was enthroned, sitting on the right hand of God. Verse 34, and as far as that fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David from Isaiah 55. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to see corruption. Again, Psalm 16 that Peter had preached on Pentecost. For David, after he had served the purpose of God and his own generation fell asleep, was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up, Jesus, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that though this man, through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes in him is freed from everything from which you cannot be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells you. See, Paul ended this message full well knowing of the difficulty of believing in the resurrection. That's why he ended with these words from Habakkuk about the amazing works that God would do among this generation, just like he did that work in the generation before Babylon came and, and took over Israel. It's an amazing thing. You won't believe. He says, you, you won't believe it. Take heed because this is so wonderful. Everything that happened, they didn't believe back there with Habakkuk. And you might not believe as well. But the equally amazing work that God did here was raising Jesus from the dead. And those who didn't believe in Habakkuk's day, may that not be among us. And I just say this, the resurrection was prominent in Paul's preaching that day in the synagogue. The resurrection is mentioned four times. It's mentioned verse 30, verse 33, verse 34, and verse 37. And even is alluded to, exposited in verse 35 and 36, just talking about Psalm 16 and how the David experienced corruption, but Jesus didn't. This is the theme of his message, was, was the risen Christ. And although Paul had seen the risen Christ, this is helpful for us, he'd seen the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He only saw him in a vision. He didn't see him flesh and blood like the apostles did. He didn't speak about I am a personal eyewitness, but in, in 31, he speaks about those witnesses, right? For in many days, he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Paul doesn't put himself in the same category as Peter and the apostles who saw Jesus in flesh and blood. Yes, he saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, but that we're like Paul, right? Except Paul knew Peter and James and John. 
And we don't know them, but he's trusting their eyewitness account because they were credible. And I, I, just, I just say this. We have opportunity to speak with others. Don't ever be ashamed. Oh, they might not believe this. It's too like, too like crazy. Just speak it forth. I believe in Jesus Christ. Died upon the cross for my sins. Buried and raised again. Should be front and center with the resurrection. It's the cornerstone of our faith. It demonstrates Jesus was everything that he claimed to be. Paul stayed on a message. Preached the resurrection. Even when he was scoffed. Turn over to Acts chapter 17. This is our last sermon. We've got Paul's second sermon. Which is in Acts 17. This is that great sermon that Paul preached to the men of Athens on Mars Hill, the Areopagus, where all the elite, the academic elite, assembled. And they desired to hear just everything new. And Paul was preaching about these same deities, these, these strange deities. They, they didn't know these deities that he's talking about. These strange gods. They, they, were, they were conversed. In fact, if you look back at, at verse 18, he said, what does this babbler seem to say? He seems to be preacher of foreign divinities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. There's Jesus, one God, and Anastasis, the other God. So you got these two gods. For, who are these deities? They said, let's hear something new. Let's put them up. And so Paul was put up. And he preached. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. Again, context now he comes to proclaim this god the god who made the world and everything in it this is the sovereign lord who doesn't need us right being lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything and this is the god who verse 26 made from one man adam every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined their allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, that they might should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. He's actually not far from each one of us, for in Him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Like you have all your idols over here. That's not what God is like. God is flesh and blood. Jesus was flesh and blood. He's living. He's a being rather. The times of ignorance God has overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. He's like overlooked your idolatry. But he's telling you now. Repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. By a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. There it is, furnishing proof that he's the judge, giving assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This is the one who you're going to deal with, a living God, not like a dead idol that you have, because God is, is living. And that last phrase provoked the reaction, because now they went, oh, he's not proclaiming deities, Jesus and Anastasis, resurrection, He's proclaiming that this Jesus, honest, he rose from the dead. Oh, now verse 32, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, of course, that can't be. 
They mocked him. But others said, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from the midst. But some men, encouraged, joined him and believed. Among also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. And you notice the message in the Areopagus said nothing about the life of Jesus, but only talked about his resurrection. And that's all that he got. He didn't get any further than that because they were so angry with that. They stopped him. And Paul's response is typical. Whenever you speak the gospel with people, you always get the same response. People will either be open and hostile to what you're saying and they'll mock you. Or they'll say, hmm, let's think about that. They'll kind of ignore you or be lukewarm. But there'll be some who believe as well. And that's why we speak the gospel to people because we don't, we don't know how it's going to land on their hearts. And we pray and we beg them to be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5. But we see how it actually turns out. God stirs their heart or not. That's how it is. Our jobs be faithful to the message. And I say this. Faithful to the message comes with the resurrection. So when you have opportunities sometimes to speak with people, Put the resurrection in there if you remember. Or as you think about the gospel yourself, think about Christ on the cross. Yes, he died, but the, the follow-up to that is that he was buried and, and rose again. And I say this, just a couple more verses that just speak about Paul, how he kept the resurrection central. Over in Acts 23, look, look at this. Paul is before this, this council, and um, they're trying to figure out where he's so bad and where he's so wrong. And he simply says, brothers, Acts 23, verse 6, I'm a Pharisee and son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. He says, it's all about the resurrection and why I am on trial today. Now, he may have said that to stir up the, the conflict between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees denied the resurrection. The Pharisees said there would be. But at any point, he said, this is the issue, is that I'm here because someone raised from the dead. He spoke the resurrection to the council. He spoke the resurrection to Felix when he was in prison there. Look over at Acts 24 and verse 21. He reminded them, he's given, he's given his defense to Felix. And so he talked about being in this council that, that verse 20 of Acts 24, these men themselves say what wrong, wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. They couldn't find this other than this one thing. Here's Paul's guilty thing. I cried out while standing among them. It's with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial before you this day. They couldn't find anything wrong with him except he said, I stand on the resurrection. It got him in trouble. And it might get you in trouble too. People mock you. Think like, who is this? But he really believed it enough so he was on, on trial for that. So he spoke that to Felix. He spoke the resurrection to Agrippa. Acts chapter 26, verse 8. He's talking with Agrippa, and he says this. It's a good question, really, to, to leave on. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Right, like, like, like right when he was with Agrippa, right there he's explaining it, he's preaching it, means that he had spoken to them before, and then, then he comes down and he says, why is it that you think it's strange if God raises people from the dead? I mean, you just even think about that. God created the life with the words. God created the earth, the words of his mouth. He created man from dust, Adam, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, has continued to sustain the planet in miraculous 
unbelievable ways. When you look at the physics and the chemistry and the biology of all that takes place, the biological inner workings of the, of the cell is just amazing. But God has done that. He upholds the universe by the strength of his power. And if he can do that, why is it so incredible that God would raise someone from the dead? Well, maybe people don't believe what the prophet said. They don't believe Psalm 16. Many people don't believe Jesus because Jesus clearly prophesied of when he was going to go. We're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of, of the chief priests and the elders. And they're going to mock him and scourge him and put him to death. And after three days, he's going to rise from the dead. Jesus said he's going to rise again. But people don't believe because they don't believe in Jesus. People don't believe because they don't understand the power of God. The, the one that makes the mountains rise. The one that gives life. They don't believe. Many, many don't believe the resurrection. They want more proof. They want, hey, maybe someone will raise from the dead. Show us, show us this is the case. And I, I'll just say this, church family. Just embrace the resurrection. Think about it when you think about the gospel. And speak about it with others. That Christ Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and raised again according to the scriptures. And that is where our hope is as a predominant theme in all the evangelistic messages of the apostles in the book of Acts. May it be a predominant theme in what we share with other people as well. So let's pray. Father, I would pray that we would not think it's so incredible that God does raise people from the dead. God, because you indeed are the all-powerful one, you do as you please in heavens and on earth. And there will be a day some of us have been memorizing in Philippians chapter 2, when every knee will bow to the risen Lord King Jesus. And so, Father, I would pray that you would convict our hearts where conviction needs to be. God, help us in our unbelief as we cry out to you. Oh God, we believe, help our unbelief. God, may the resurrection this Easter morning, this 2016 spring morning may it resonate in our hearts and may our hope be renewed afresh to realize that in jesus is where our hope lies a life of eternal life a life that will never die a life that will be with you eternally so be our help and our shield and our strength this day pray in jesus name amen